all I think that can now be done is to protect the graves and mark the last resting places of those who have fallen. Robert E. Lee, 1866. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. In today's episode, we're continuing to address revisionist history as it relates to the American Civil War. Today, we're tackling Confederate monuments and the revisionist history surrounding them. The past several years have seen an increasing debate over the place of Confederate monuments in our national life and history a debate that's only intensified as many of those monuments have been removed from parks, town squares, courthouse lawns, and other public spaces throughout the South. You probably know the main argument on each side, as they haven't changed much in the 150 years since the war ended. Those in favor of the monuments claim they're an important part of American and Southern history and should be preserved, while those opposed see them as nothing more than symbols of racism covered with a veneer of history. In many arguments of this type, the actual facts usually lay somewhere in the middle of each extreme. But that's not really the case here, however. And yet, the side with the flawed viewpoint is flawed precisely because of the revision of history. Let me stop here for a moment and say, as I mentioned in the Robert E. Lee episode, that I am a Southerner. I grew up in a post-segregation Texas still coming to grips with being on the wrong side of the civil rights issue. And though we revered heroes of the Alamo far more than those of the Confederacy, there were still any number of schools, parks, and streets named after Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, Jefferson Davis, and John Bell Hood, a native Texan. And many statues of all of them as well. Growing up, we were taught that the Confederates were noble men who loved their home states and only wanted to defend them against the tyranny of an oppressive federal government that we lost simply because we were so outnumbered, also like with the Alamo for Texans, and that those who took up arms against the Union were patriots in the same mold as Washington and Jefferson. The grand statues of these supposed heroes helped solidify this narrative After all, who builds statues to the bad guys? Well, apparently we did. And let me say for clarity, especially for my southern friends and listeners, I'm not saying that every Confederate soldier, or even most Confederate soldiers, were bad people. But good or bad, two hard facts remain. Facts are teachers steadfastly avoided. First, those who fought for the Confederacy were rebels a lot of them proudly called themselves that, and as such cannot be seen as loyal patriotic Americans. They were loyal patriotic Confederates, yes, but not loyal Americans. It's an odd claim when you think about it. No one would say that Washington and Jefferson were loyal patriotic Englishmen, even as they fought to separate from Great Britain. Second, and this is the part that will start the biggest debate, the Confederates were fighting for one thing the preservation of slavery. Protest as much as you'd like, 
but nearly every state's secession proclamation, as well as the Constitution of the Confederacy itself, spoke of the preservation of slavery in the very first paragraph. And while they certainly did mention states' rights, they were almost always talking about the state's right to allow its people, its white people, to own slaves. So why did we, and do we, still get these two facts, especially the second one, so wrong? Well, that's where the Confederate monuments come into play. These so-called memorials to the heroic dead might make some sense had they been erected immediately following the war's end in 1865. However, and this is something far too few of their defenders seem to know, the bulk of the monuments were erected in two specific time periods, the years between 1900 and 1930, and again between 1954 and 1965. The first period saw the reemergence of the Ku Klux Klan in the South, and the second was the period of the Civil Rights Movement that saw the end of segregation. Looking honestly at the timing of this surge in memorials to the men who led the fight to preserve slavery in America, it's hard to argue that it was about honoring their sacrifice. If that were true, the bulk would have been built in the late 1860s and 1870s. The timing actually points to something far more shameful. They were not odes to the past, but rather symbols, justifications, and encouragements of a future that still saw whites as superior. They were meant, whether we want to admit it or not, to show African Americans their place in Southern life, history, and culture not just in the past, but in the future as well. If you think this is an overstatement, consider for a moment what will seem an over-the-top analogy. You're a young Jewish person living in Germany in 2020. In every town in Bavaria, you encounter memorials and statues of Himmler, Goering, Rommel, and even Hitler. How are you going to feel? Now, put yourself in the place of a young, or old, African-American in Atlanta or Richmond or Birmingham today, walking up to a courthouse and seeing a statue of Lee or Davis or even Nathan Bedford Forrest, one of the men who founded the KKK after his war service. Are you really expecting to find justice inside that courthouse? And I'm not comparing the Confederacy to Nazi Germany. But the analogy stands. Let me be clear about something at this point. I'm not advocating the removal of the history of the war or of the Confederacy or of slavery. We have to know our history or we'll never learn from it. But history is taught through books, in museums, and in classrooms. Statues are erected to glorify their subjects, not to teach history. We would not put up statues of Aaron Burr or Benedict Arnold on a courthouse lawn. Jefferson Davis doesn't belong there either. Coming back around to something I said at the very beginning, there was a man who saw the danger of erecting such memorials long ago. His name was Robert E. Lee. I put his quote at the start of this episode because it's ironic that we're fighting over the removal of statues of a man who never wanted statues of himself built in the first place. Lee summed up his feelings when asked to attend a meeting to commemorate Civil War monuments. He said, quote, I think it wiser not to keep open the sores of war, 
but to follow the example of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife and to commit to, to oblivion the feelings it engendered. End quote. I could say more on the subject, but I think Lee said it better than I can, so we'll let him have the last word. Have a great week, and stay safe. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll go a long way towards helping us create more episodes and hopefully becoming completely ad-free. Thanks a lot.